Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. And today's guest will be, once again, Dave Thompson. Dave has been a writer for Goldmine uh, for many years. And in the new issue, he does a fabulous job of wrapping up the Stones year of 1967, which, because of the Red Lens bust... Uh, you music historians know. Um, 67 seemed like a bad year for the Stones, but when all said and done with the recordings, you had great albums like Between the Buttons and Flowers released. And Dave will talk about Between the Buttons mostly. We'll touch on Flowers a little bit. But we'll talk about why that's an underrated album and should be looked at more. Uh, so we'll be right back after this message with Dave Thompson to talk about the Rolling Stones in 1967. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Well, Dave, you did a good job of, of, you know, starting 
from the beginning. You didn't start this article um, in 1967. You started first in 66 with the taking. They're in a studio, the band, mm-hmm. and Rolling Stones are recording, and Jared Mankiewicz takes him out to the park to take the photo for the album. Yes. Ryan Jones seems in another world. And um or so he looks. I've interviewed yeah. Mankiewicz, yes. And he <laughs> said he really was yeah. in another world. Um such a shame, man. I mean, he brought in all types of instruments for between the buttons, too. Uh he did. I mean, he was versatile, but yeah, in a way, he wasn't cut out for that kind of life. Yeah, he was one. If you actually look at some of the saddest stories from the you know the sixties, there was a lot of people who got into rock and roll and they had you know they had asthma, they had this, that, and the other thing, which is no, that's not an, an obstacle to being a rock and roller, but it is an obstacle to you know being on the road in the back of a very small transit van full of cigarette and who knows what else smoke drinking like a fish and staying up all night yeah it was the lifestyle whether they wanted it or not i mean even without being debauched you know bands were stuck in vans dry or even you know by the time the stones were making this album you know they were bigger they probably had better transport but you're still stuck in a you know in some sort of moving vehicle for x hours a day you're still eating at the same greasy spoon cafe on the motorway at four in the morning on your way to the next show. Mm. Um, everybody is still smoking because, you know, as we used to say, so many cigarettes, so little time. So sheer uh, boredom too, no? I mean, and sheer boredom. But if you have any kind of health complications, no matter how easily manageable they are in the real world. Right. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you know, you're not necessarily going to remember to pack your inhaler when you're off to Skegness for two days at the local Locarno. True, and I think that uh, you know the incident of him, Brian drowning in his pool. If he that didn't happen, he probably. I mean, he really abused his body with the drugs and alcohol. And yeah, everything. Would he have? Would that have done him in early? Unless he, you know, went to rehab. I mean. The rehab industry wasn't that big yet, was it? <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to say. I mean, a lot of people did put their bodies through more than they were built for Keith. and lived to a very ripe old age. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and a lot were sort of relatively well-behaved and didn't. Right. So it's impossible to say. I mean, the whole thing about Brian's death Kind of, you know, all the conspiracies, all the, oh, it was this guy, it was that guy, he did it, you know, happened for the, it actually detracts from just the tragedy mm. of, you know, a gifted, good-looking, young musician dying in what wasn't really the most rock and roll manner no. he would have chosen. No. Yeah, I'm sure he'd have preferred a blaze of glory to you know floating in Winnie the Pooh's swimming pool. Right. <clears throat> and and it just you know it just it, it's such a shame because he started the band and I think he really wanted a blues band and here they are really you know the evolution is going towards rock and roll um away from 
a bluesy band playing in the clubs, right? Yeah. I think is what Brian really wanted. I'm not sure Brian wanted fame, so to speak. I think he I think he wanted the trappings of fame. Mm. Or else he Good wouldn't point. have played along with it so well. Um, he really just wanted a blues band, didn't he? He wanted a blues band. I I think what went wrong, and this has got nothing to do between the buttons, strangely, right. but what went wrong for Brian Jones was the fact that he couldn't write songs and his singer and his, uh, his guitar, rhythm guitarist could. Right. That was what went wrong. And, you know, you talk to people who are in the Stone's Orbit at that time, and the majority of them will tell you that Brian's songs were not very good. I think it was Gene Pitney took him into the studio to record some stuff. Um, and it was a disaster. I mean, even Gene Pitney was not happy at the end of the day. And I mean, come on, you, you upset Gene Pitney? Goodness. Well, you know, he had Jagger and Richards that were really, they grew up on R&B and pop, right? They, so loved their, they loved their blues, but they had that. Well, so did Brian. I mean, so did everybody of that he generation. Did, but he was, he seemed more wrapped up in the blues. Um, he, he did, but I mean, Brian was a musician, not a writer. I mean, there's a lot of great guitarists, bass players, mm -hmm. drummers out there who are brilliant at what they do. But would you really trust them to write your next album? Right. Yeah, they, they may be able to sort of drag a couple of songs screaming into life. But, you know, Ginger Baker's solo writing credits with Cream don't go far. Well, January, you know, 1967 started off right for the Stones. You had January 20th with the release of Between the Buttons, underrated album. But critics adore this album, and I'll include you on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Probably because it has a sort of eclectic mix, right, of songs. Yes. I mean, you, you have, and this wasn't included on the U.S. version, but you have Please Go Home, which is like a great garage psychedelic rocker. And then you have the, you know, Backstreet Girl, which is, you know, kind of playfully folky, you know. Um, so you have those 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 differences. It's very eclectic. Um, the UK version, like you said, didn't have any hits, um, and they were more prone to do that, where the US version had um, two hits on there, right? Three, if you can. Tuesday. Ruby, Ruby Tuesday, Let's Spend the Night Together, and uh, yeah. Have You Seen Your Mother. Right. So here you go with January start off, right? And then you have the Red Lens drug bust in February, which really... You know, that takes the steam out of everything. And I know, great publicity. Great publicity, but <laughs> as you put it, and I'm not familiar with this tabloid, but news of the world. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole thing, I mean, it was a setup. It was a sting. It was, you know, however you want to look at it. You know, the, the media loves to have an enemy and they couldn't hate the Beatles because they were so cute and cuddly. So they hated the Stones because they were dirty and they peed on garage walls and you wouldn't let your daughter marry one. And the Stones fought back. So, yeah, the media went for the jugular. 
Yeah, and they also you heard the story about uh, the Acid King, right? Mm-hmm. This drug dealer that uh, didn't get through customs, and uh, they were hanging a plea deal over his head um, or prison time if he didn't take a plea deal. Yeah, and he actually became the informant that sort of narked on the stones um, and led to this drug bust. His name was David Snyderman. He changed his name to David Jove. Um, Weirdly enough, in the 80s, he became a music program director. Did he really? For this thing called New Wave Theater. Um, It was hosted by Peter Ivers. And they had a lot of, uh, they called it New Wave, but it had a lot of punk bands from California on there. And uh, it was on the variety show, um, part of it, uh, Night Flight, which was a popular music show. Um, And since he changed his name to David Jove, no one really made the connection uh, till later. I heard Marion Faithful made the connection and warned everybody he was the same guy. But um, it's crazy how this guy was a narc. And then went on to go into the music business again using a, a different. Oh, name. Uh, it probably happens more times than we realize. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, music business is not exactly a hotbed of keeping a nice non non dodgy people, is it? <laughs> hey, what about us? <laughs> well, we're music- okay. Yeah, but we're sort of more on the music side than the business side, right. or at least I am. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> okay, you so... You sitting in your editorial ivory tower, throwing <laughs> typewriters at passers-by. <laughs> well, you still have a typewriter, huh? That's good. Of course. Yeah. But, um... Where'd yeah, so he was doing his new wave theater thing at... <laughs> It just seemed late, later, uh, Heath mentions it in his book, Life. Um, but it's just strange how life works. Uh, yeah. Intended. Um, but, but getting back to the album, mm. now you talk about this song called, has a sort of mythical purport, uh, English Summer. Yes. It's like we talked about. Um, was there ever a song called English Summer and didn't, maybe it was just a take that turned into Dandelion, right? Um, possibly. I don't think anybody has ever heard it. And, you know, because it's, you know, bound up in the whole Abco deal with the Stones, all of Mm. their outtakes are, you know, buried deeper than Area 51. (laughs) So, you know, we may hear it in our lifetimes. We probably shouldn't hold our breath to do maybe so maybe it's not as good as dandelion maybe oh i mean that's isn't that always the case though it's, you know, it's the beatles fans who would sell their grannies to hear carnival of light and you know when they do the majority of them, oh, that wasn't that wasn't worth waiting for right yeah, maybe dandelion grannies, as granny sits on the shelf in the charity shop waiting for somebody to buy her <laughs> Right, it could have, you know, the song could have come out and just been a, 
a dog and and yeah. dandelion wouldn't have happened and dandelion is a great song i don't know if it would have been dandelion i mean english summer i mean it's such an evocative title for the time because you know we yeah. were coming into the summer of love yes true <clears throat> You know, it's like it was just a great time. The song doesn't, it's like Carnival of Light in a way. The song doesn't need to exist. The idea behind the song title is enough to get, you know, render it a legend. But isn't it amazing that in June they put out flowers in the US? Well, they didn't, did they? I mean, that's giving. Right. But okay, flowers was put out. <laughs> you know, London Records wanted to do two Stones albums a year, so they would gather up all the stuff that had not been on past albums, stick on a few unreleased tracks, and call it good. Flowers was just a, you know, it was the rest of Between the Buttons plus you know a couple of a couple of good songs or American hits from um, Aftermath, and. Yeah, you know, three outtakes, but it did have Backstreet Girl and Please Go Home, though. Right? Yeah, and it, yeah, the best. It was the best of Beggars, the hits off Aftermath, and yeah, just whatever they wanted to throw on there. And it it was no more or less a compilation than you know, Made in the Shade or Sucking in the Seventies. What but, a difference in album covers! I mean. <laughs> Yeah, Mankiewicz is beautiful. I think Mankiewicz is one of the great photographers. He took a lot of Hendrix. Yeah. This was an amazing shot. This this whole photo shoot was great because he even admitted he smeared a little bit of Vaseline on the lens. Because you know, oh, are we back to, hang on, are we back to between the buttons? Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought yeah. we were talking about flowers. Oh Sorry. no, and I'm talking about <laughs> the difference in album covers. And then you, you have flowers, me. which looks like it was cut and paste sort of yeah because it you know it wasn't an yeah it wasn't something that the stones delivered the stones did their own artwork for their own albums and they always they hired the, you know, andrew oldham hired the photographer you know they worked together flowers was the american label bringing out you know the contracted next album in 1967 and it's going to be another round of collections boys oh great do what you want the, the strange thing about flowers is it was it was a really good album whether you had beggars banquet and aftermath or not it was a great right. album it had some terrific songs sitting on a fence you know i think i said before it's one of my all-time favorite stone songs you know ride on baby we don't you know there'd only ever been a fairly not so great version by chris farlow um this was the stones doing it properly and their version of my girl which most people i know who love the stones kind of don't like that very much i think it's wonderful mm. and yeah it set the stage for just my imagination on um mm. some girls it was the stones doing a great motown well you know, 60s soul song really well Hmm. Um, I, I always skip over it. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do. But Flowers Holds Together is a cohesive album despite its origins. And it was funny that when I was getting into really buying every Stones album I could find, 
when I was like 14 or 15, I guess. Are you still in that mode? You're, you're uh, not anymore. I've got them all. I don't well, you them. get you, you like collecting the latest live albums that come out, I know yes. That. But you know, the studios, you know, another reissue of something. Nah, are you gonna but, get uh, the new album when it comes out? Come on, they're in the studio, man. Oh, of course, I will. Okay, um, Flowers was the album that I could never find because it was never released in Britain. I actually found Got Live If You Want It, which also wasn't released in Britain, but I found that first, which was a little disappointing. You're telling when, me that you couldn't buy it as an import? There weren't really that many shops selling ancient imports. You know, don't forget, we're talking you know, seven, eight years later. Yeah. You know, a scrappy old Stones American Live album yeah, I could probably have found it new in you know that shop that did Japanese imports under Hammersmith Flyaway, but it would have cost me you know, three months pocket money. And guess what? You could have picked up Goldmine and did, did it mail order. <laughs> We're talking before Goldmine existed, Sunshine. It's old, but it's not that old. Yeah, we're talking like 73, maybe 74, so Goldmine did start that year. Goldmine's just yeah, launching we had, there was no record collector. There was no gold mine. Um, there was, I knew of one shop that catered to record collectors mm. in London at that time. And they, they concentrated on singles. Or 78s. No, they, 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 no? they fives. They weren't dealing with the shellac? No. Um, mm. God, I can't remember what it was called now, but it's a great shop on Caledonian Road. Mm -hmm. I I spent hours in there, and I you know, I picked up the Stone singles on it. Yeah, you know, the um, American Stone singles, but albums albums are tricky. And then one day I found a copy of Flowers in secondhand shop in London, and I was like so happy, but so amazed that ah the Holy Grail, and I got it home, and I played it. It's like I actually like this as much as I like Between the Buttons. Well, let's shift back to Between the Buttons. Okay, so. Oh, I, I remember when I spoke to Mankiewicz, he said there was a lot of tension um, with the management. And uh, you kind of explained that, where there's this division, and finally they break from their management, the Stones. And that was, really, that was really while in the studio for Between the Buttons, right? No. <laughs> no? no. No, it's in the studio for Satanic Majesties. Uh, okay. But it started, it started kind of in, you know. There was, a, there was a bit. But I mean, the problem was Andrew Oldham ran a very tight ship in the studio. The yeah. only people who needed to be in the studio were the people who were either going to play an instrument or twiddle a dial or bring the coffee. Um, whereas the Stones were you know, social animals and they wanted their friends to come in and they wanted their dealers to come in and mm. their dentist and their girlfriends. their girlfriends and the guy selling papers on the corner. You know, they wanted to have people in there. They wanted sort of a party atmosphere. And Andrew was like, no. The Beatles kind of had that. I don't know why George Martin wasn't more of a stickler. They, they had... Um, did they? I mean, how many people were in the studio when they recorded Yellow Submarine? Maybe, but they they had their cases where they 
Remember, they brought in a bunch of people to sing backing vocals. Well, yeah, but that's different. Those people have a job. Yeah. <laughs> you, you bring in you bring in ten friends and they're singing backing vocals. That's different to. So, are these the backing vocalists? No, that's my dealer. That's my dentist. That's my doctor. That's the guy walking my dog. Did you know Keith Richards? Really that crazy in the Stones? Studio? Keith Richards used to have a dog named Ratbag. I always admired that. Ratbag. Or so he told one of the teen papers when the Stones were first breaking through. You know, those things you had to fill in, like, you know, favorite color, favorite socks. You know, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a pet? And Keith was like, yes, I have a dog named Ratbag. <laughs> That would be a good question. Keith, do you remember? Do you have a photo of Ratback? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, if I ever interview Keith Richard, that would be my first question. In fact, I tell the publicist, have him bring a, a picture of Ratbag to the interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's your favorite version, the UK or the US version? Finally, oh, UK, UK, because it's the whole album. Right. Um, the US version, I look at as a. A confirmation of just how brilliant the Stones were um, during that period, the aftermath between the buttons and the singles in and around those two albums. Um, there was nobody to touch them, not even that bunch from Liverpool. <clears throat> you know, those two albums, I think, were the apex of a British beat as it turned into psychedelia. Obviously, listeners, Dave sides with the Stones in that debate. Who was better, the Stones or the Beatles? Yeah, but, you know, the Stones never came up with a song as good as uh, Got to Get You Into My Life. So, you know, it is. They didn't have the horns. No. <laughs> but if the Stones could have written Got to Get You Into My Life, the world would have been a very different place. <laughs> they were never that jolly. I would have stopped liking them for a start. I've never <laughs> seen this. I couldn't see the Stones doing a song like that, but you never know. Anyway, um, what's your favorite know. song then off of the UK version? Um, oh, probably the same as my favorite song on the American one. Um, it's like Backstreet Girl. I really love because it's just so lyrically wrong. <laughs> Yeah, uh, every year you play that. Ooh, <laughs> the weird thing about it, it's kind of like a sort it's of sweet. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a joyful type of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I know. I think my my actual, my actual serious favorite on that album is um the one that's going to make everybody groan is um something happened to me yesterday. Why would you want to say that the Stones could never have done anything as jolly as got to get you into my life? That comes close. Okay. It's absolutely daft, pointless. They must have been bored at the end of the session and you need one more song. Okay, let's do this. Let's um, let's ditch English summer and do this. Yeah, it's, it's a terrific song. And you're know, coming at the end of the album, it's just like, wow. Yeah. You really have finished the record, haven't you? And I think that's my favorite song. Hmm. You didn't like the you didn't like Please Go Home? The... No, I did I like everything on there. It's just that that's my favorite. Okay. I, I just I, love that song because it had that man, it just distorted garage rock. 
I think you know, up there in your ivory tower, you forget that us proletariat, we're allowed to like more than one song on an LP. <laughs> well, Abco um, is going to be, prop I, I think they might be releasing um, a reissue uh, between the buttons, but right now they're doing. Mono stereo. They're doing flowers. Uh, Mono or stereo. What's that? Mono or stereo. You know, that's a good question. Mono's best. If you say so. Um, Mono flowers is best. The stereo, um, I think the stereo between the buttons. Mono Shut. for that time was best, man. Uh, the stereo between the buttons is pretty adventurous. I have, okay. I've always had the mono version. Um, you should have both. I should, huh? I'm not a completist as much as you. That's not completist. That's just having the record. Yeah. Okay, you completist is if you have the, you know, the Venezuelan pressing and the, the Portuguese one with the misprint on the label and things like that. I just made that one up. Please don't go looking for it, anybody. So they're they're also uh, they're coming out with flowers and metamorphosis. Good. Uh, We'll talk about Metamorphosis in a another podcast. One of the great, overlooked, unjustly disliked, unsung classics in the Stones catalog. Yeah, it's kind of driving like, sister Fanny. Come on, kind of like an afterthought with many Stones fans, isn't it? If they even know, even some of them might not even know about it. <laughs> it had such a cover, you know, such an amazing cover. I don't know how they missed it mm. and here's your favorite pop group dressed up as insects oh one Even thing before Beatles we do that one thing before we wrap up this uh, love fest about between the buttons <laughs> then didn't isn't there uh another myth going on that marianne faithful took english summer and uh she was going to record it and but you interviewed her and she said she blacked out didn't know what you were talking about right yeah um yeah i mean that's one of the stories mm. uh, she did not recall it that on the day i talked to her mm. um but again it's you know we don't need the song to exist it's just that title at that time mm. was so perfect and you can almost imagine what it would have sounded like mm. particularly if they gave it to marianne because you know so we know it wasn't going to be you know street fighting man with a you know with a suntan right um, it was it was going to be a nice semi-whimsical probably had a some some harpsichord or something on it and it would have been a lovely classic mid-60s stones ballady rocker huh. and you know they're now going to call up and say he's lying and play you proto heavy metal with jagger just screaming english summer it's a bummer that's just it it was punk Over before punk yeah yeah that's what it really was <laughs> so it's, it's it can, sound, can be revealed jagger english, sounding like johnny john lydon english summer invented sludge metal <laughs> stoner rock oh no sludge metal makes stoner rock look like the ramones well, anyway, let's hope Abco does put out uh, Between the Buttons. They are yes. they're claiming they're doing more than 
flowers and metamorphosis. So uh, we'll see what they do. Well, um, they without the stone's knowledge. <laughs> they should because, I don't know, they haven't, they've actually been very responsible custodians in a way. I know contractually they couldn't go as mad as, say, you know, the Elvis catalog or the Bowie catalog. I give them high marks for yeah. what you're talking about there. And when they've done those deluxe editions, like the one they did for um, Let It Bleed, it was a nice little package. Yes, it was. With the forty-five. Uh, did it have a? Did that one have a forty-five? I don't remember. It, it was either that or Beggar's Banquet. Maybe. Yeah, one of them did. But you know, the mono, the stereo, the the nice, nice, just nice packaging. Mm. So I hope they do something like that between the buttons. Yeah, I which really, think, when I you think, think about it, that's the title they should have used for Sticky Fingers. Maybe they'll release. The UK, well, they can't, right? They can't release the UK version. Oh, yeah, they can. They can? Okay. Yeah. Well, that would be nice to release the UK version and then have a seven inch that has the two singles or maybe yeah, several seven inch records that have the singles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of possibilities for that album. Yeah. Oh, there is for all the Stones albums prior to uh, Satanic Majesties. Because you know, there's such differences between the British and American records. I mean, this is your favorite decade for the Stones, right? The 60s? Oh, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, you think of the 70s, Goat's Head Soup, uh, Black and Blue, and Emotional Rescue. I mean, those are my three favorite Stones albums. Yeah. I mean, it's not the 90s? <laughs> or God forbid, the 80s? Well, they only did two albums in the eight. Well, three. Well, what seven. albums they were, right? Well, I know undercover. I I have a soft. You can't story. count tattoo you as it's more like metamorphosis, isn't it? Yeah, tattoo you was just metamorphosis. If the Stones had paid attention and you know gone and polished up the songs and brought in a decent producer to give it an overall sound, because I like that album as much as you yeah. like metamorphosis. Yeah, you don't like metamorphosis. I mean, it's like I it's do. So- but I'm just saying, as much as you like it, I like Tattoo You. Yeah. And well, if Metamorphosis had, you know, a cleaned up start me up on it, everybody would have said, oh, what's the best Stones album ever? <laughs> Probably not in that accent. I don't know. You'd from. like the reggae version. Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, well, if, if people, people reading your stuff know you love reggae, so of course you would. So. Is it that obvious? You're a little biased. I'm actually doing uh, <laughs> next weekend. Next weekend, if anybody listening is in Newark, Delaware, go to International Groove Records, just off Main Street, between 12 and 2 on Sunday, and I will be doing a reggae lovers rock DJ set. Wow, what a plug. Yes, wasn't okay. it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, that's a good way to end this. So readers, listeners, you know, pick up the new issue of uh, Go My Magazine. It's the April-May edition, and it will have Dave's story, The Stones, in 1967. It will. Yeah. And there will be... There will be further pieces on Between the Buttons and Metamorphosis on the website later in the year. Yeah. You forgot flowers. And flowers. That's what I meant, flowers. You're confusing me. 
Yeah, I often it's do. early. All right, Dave. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and listeners, uh, thank, you. Forget, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, <laughs> don't forget to go to goldmymag.com for exclusive content. Dave just told you about something, some things coming up in around June. But now there's still stuff coming on every day. So and pick up the newest magazine, like I just told you. The newest one will be out by March, and you could go to Barnes and Noble or Brooks a Million, pick that up. Uh, record stores, record shows, you might find it on a newsstand. Uh, but What's also on the cover of the new one. On the cover are three yes. bands. You know, we have several covers now: The oh. Monkees, Uriah Heep, and Kansas. <laughs> Uriah Heep and Kansas are both celebrating their 50th anniversaries. Uriah Heep had to put it on hold because of the pandemic. And Monkeys, you know, uh, Mickey Dolenz is going on his, what might be his last tour uh, to celebrate headquarters because that's being put out by Rhino as I know it's been put out before and reissued, but they have they've dug up more stuff. Yeah, they've got the original um Don Kirshner tapes, haven't yeah. they? Which have never been out before. So kind look forward to that. And then we have collector's editions. I won't give away that stuff, but it has uh extras that are rare. So uh go to shop.goldminemag.com. You can buy the issue, the collector's edition, and get vinyl box sets, a bunch of stuff. Um, so, Dave, thanks, and we'll talk Thank to you, you next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs>